0: America and happy Thursday. A big day, the first impeachment hearing on the way. Lots of back and forth between Democrats and Republicans. You're going to get the sense that this is going to be a very contentious impeachment proceeding, impeachment inquiry, I should say. It's not a proceeding, it's an inquiry. But that's a good thing, getting the facts out, letting people argue both sides, letting the American people make up their mind based on the factual record that this committee will or will not create over the next several months, a very important part of the process. And of course, we've had a lot of analysis, some really big scoops, the James Biden scoop yesterday that I told you about. I just want to boil down impeachment into three things. There are three C's that this impeachment inquiry is going to focus on. The first is corruption. Is it appropriate for a vice president to let his son collect millions from foreigners trying to influence the vice president and for the vice president to participate in the effort by meeting and phoning in and cajoling? The second is credibility. Is it appropriate for a president to lie about his family's business dealings and say he didn't get money from China and I never met with my son's partners when it wasn't true? And if the lies occur in the context of you're doing your job interview for president does that have even a more important consequence to it? So you have corruption and you have credibility. The third one is cover-up. Is what Leslie Wolf and David Weiss and what the Justice Department did to thwart the agents like Gary Shapley and Joe Gordon and Joe Ziegler, is that a cover-up? Was it part of an effort to thwart and obstruct an investigation? Those are the three questions that impeachment will answer or the impeachment inquiry We'll answer, and I think the jury's still out. I don't think anyone knows for sure yet. Let's see what the facts are. We've got a great show for you today. First guest up, Matt Gates. He spent some time last night. He's on the front lines of this battle over whether the government's going to shut down, what sort of funding we're going to have whether Republicans are going to stay true to the word of passing 12 appropriations bills. He's going to kick us off. We had a great conversation, Amanda Head and I, last night. They're going to kick the show off that. In the second block, Walid Ferris, one of the great national security thinkers in this country, We're going to talk about Iran, all of the things that Joe Biden has done and its implications for world and US security, as well as we'll throw in some Ukraine and Russia questions and the border, too. We ought to be worried about the border right now. And then in the final segment, a great conversation with one of the great family-owned companies in the institutional investing world when it comes to fixed income assets like bonds cardi and company are an incredible player great folks subject experts extraordinaire, a family-owned company half century of incredible experience serving this country we're going to introduce them they support just the news we want you to support them and learn a little bit more about them we'll have that in the third block of the show All right, folks, we're going to come back in a few seconds with our interview with Matt Gaetz. Uh, Fiery interview. You're going to love it. But before we do, hey, I'm always keeping an eye on the volatility of the stock market. And right now, NVIDIA, the AI producer, is one of America's top performing stock, more than doubling in 2023 alone. But if you're holding NVIDIA, you're going to want to review Mark Chaykin's latest warning before you do so. You see, he built the stock indicator that Wall Street uses to find winning stocks. And right now, Chaykin is stepping forward to warn people away from NVIDIA. Instead, he's Focused on a different AI artificial intelligence stock. This company already has a lucrative partnership with Microsoft and it's trading for one-twelfth the price of NVIDIA. Hmm, that sounds interesting. For a limited time, you can get the name and ticker symbol totally for free. How do you do that? Visit StockMarketwarning50.com. Visit stockmarketwarning50.com one more time. Go to stockmarketwarning50.com, one of our great sponsors for today's show. All right, we'll be back with Matt Gates right after these messages. Statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And it's not a substitute or alternative for care from a health care provider.
1: Welcome back, America. We're going to stay on the subject of the latest fight going on within our nation's capital with our next guest. And he doesn't want another dime to go to Ukraine. And he has been asking for House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and his Republican colleagues to be more fiscally responsible for quite some time now. Imagine that. Joining us now is an important voice on the House Judiciary Committee, Florida Congressman Matt Gates. Congressman, thank you so much for being here.
2: Thanks for having me, Amanda.
1: You know, I've heard Congressman Hakeem Jeffries frame this as the, what did you call it, the extreme... MAGA shutdown. And he's doing a very good job of repeating that line and and towing it very well. And he keeps talking about these poison pills that folks like you and other Republicans have inserted in it. But I imagine what he means by poison pills are just items that people who voted for you and your Republican colleagues wanted to be accomplished. But what are some of those holdout items? And in what, three days, are we going to have a shutdown?
2: We, we very well may have a shutdown in three days, and uh, that's not something that anyone is looking forward to. I'm not a shutdown cheerleader by any means. But to me, what's extreme is a $33 trillion debt with $2 trillion annual deficits on top in an era of rising interest rates, where this debt is going to have to be refinanced because it's coming off of low interest financing and it's going to be refinanced at a higher rate. That is going to create major cash flow problems for our country. We're going to be paying more in interest on our national debt than the $886 billion that we're currently spending on our military, the principal job of the federal government. So here's my plan. Rather than negotiating just in terms of continuing resolutions or omnibus bills, where the entire government is basically lumped into one up or down vote for funding, we should be taking on each of these agencies with single subject spending bills. And you know the normal muscle memory of Washington is to always revert to these continuing resolutions, just keep funding everything the same way it was last year, last month, last decade. And that is has contributed to our debt, and it has led to the taxpayer continuing to fund programs that never even have to demonstrate their efficacy anymore. They, they just run like a government on autopilot. So when we were able to, I, I think, uh, get Speaker McCarthy out of that normal, corrupt muscle memory of Washington, D.C. and on to spending bills, uh, we've seen some progress. Now, today, we've taken up uh, some of the defense spending uh, legislation, and we're plowing through amendments on that. Right now, on the floor as I'm speaking to you, there's debate on the Department of Homeland Security. And if we can pass funding bills for the Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, uh, our state and foreign ops, for our embassies to continue operating, and our Department of Agriculture, for food safety inspection, then I think we'd have about 73% of the discretionary budget funded. And if it takes a little longer to resolve those other agencies, uh, that's not ideal, but it certainly is preferable to the path we're on to financial ruin.
0: Uh, Congressman, I want to ask a little bit when you guys ran last year and I know you were excited about this It was we're going to get back to the way budgets are supposed to be done We're going to do the 12 appropriation bills and you promised normal order And it seems almost shocking now your leaders seem shocked that you're actually asking to be held to that standard But that was the promise you made voters Why is the leadership not see the gap between what was promised voters and where they are at this moment? 72 hours before a shutdown
2: I'll be blunt, in the House of Representatives, we are poorly led by Speaker McCarthy. If this was a serious effort to get our appropriation legislation done, We would have begun back in the spring. We would have stayed during August. Instead of people being scattered around the country and around the globe, we would have worked through these issues like Ukraine funding, like some of the border policies that have to append to funding the Department of Homeland Security, some of the sticky issues we have with uh, our agriculture policies and work requirements for food stamps. But all see, the leadership wants to truncate that. What they want to do is delay, delay, delay as long as possible then back the lawmakers up against shutdown politics, which are never pleasant. And then they hope that you'll just agree to a series of continuing resolutions until you ultimately get to an omnibus bill that is the up or down funding of the entire government. And I don't say that as some sort of pundit or prognosticator, but as a historian, because that is exactly what has happened every single year I've been here. And it's the way our country has really been governed since the mid 90s. So to liberate ourselves from that, we have to break the fever. We have to maybe be willing to endure a shutdown over the weekend or for a few days. We don't want anyone's paycheck or pay period to be interrupted, but we've got to get these individual spending bills considered under a new paradigm because the old paradigm only leads to more debt and deficits and and really the de-dollarization of the global economy. I don't think it's by accident that you see uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran selling more energy in Chinese currency. I don't think it's an accident that you see at the African Union uh, trying to use more local currency and de-dollarize as they sell uh, more rare earth minerals on the global market. And the BRICS system presents a, a, a real, I think, infrastructure where a lot of these emerging economies will sure. be moving away from the dollar. It's not the time to be running $2 trillion annual deficits. Yeah, that's a good point.
1: Congressman, help me understand the disconnect between the rhetoric and the action, because very, very often we hear Republicans talk about how they want to be fiscally responsible and sometimes Democrats do, but mainly Republicans and how, uh, you know, the, the government is is bloated beyond what it should be, beyond what our founding fathers wanted it to be. But it, it seems to me that the way that we achieved this bloated government is with the omnibus bills, the, the bills right. that have you know, a thousand provisions in them, not the single subject bills.
2: No, you're, you're exactly right. That is the operative question. And, you know, you began this interview with the criticism from Hakeem Jeffries that I'm an extremist because I want single subject (laughs) review of legislation. Well, I guess most of the states in America must also be run by extreme MAGA Republicans because in almost every state, they set a top line number based on expected revenue and then they individually go and fund the agencies of state government. I know that as a former state lawmaker from Florida. But only in Washington, D.C., you have the very disconnect that you just described manifest not as a bug of the system, not because something went wrong uniquely in Washington, D.C., it is a feature of the system. Because we have far too many lawmakers who are completely owned by lobbyists and special interests. And those lobbyists, they don't want their individual programs that they advocate for subject to amendment and review. They just want to be able to buy off the right lawmaker with a sizable enough donation with someone powerful enough that can get it baked in to a whole big deal. And then, ah, shucks, who wants to vote no on a big up or down vote for the whole government? Who wants to vote against our veterans and our troops and against Social Security? Security, So they're able to avoid a government that is based on meritocracy and instead lean into some of the, I think, most perverse elements of this, of this area that, that really uh, deride our fellow countrymen.
0: Congressman, I want to ask about leadership because you were very blunt about the failure leadership. This was a path that everybody knew they were supposed to do. Republicans promised to do it, and yet it didn't get carried out over the last eight months. And now you're up at that classic last minute thing. What is the solution to the poor leadership? Do you intend to uh, bring a motion to vacate the chair? What is the what is the cure to the leadership issue that you see
2: in this budget failure? I'm struggling with that now, John. I'm praying about it. I'm taking counsel from a lot of my fellow members. Look, right now, my singular focus is on getting these bills reviewed and passed, making sure that we make the right cuts at the Department of Justice and the FBI, that we have the right gating for the ATF. So that's really I'm plowing my work now. But we do have to deal with that question. And uh, one thing I know. If Kevin McCarthy uses Democrat votes in the House of Representatives to advance Joe Biden's spending priorities, he cannot remain as the Republican speaker. Maybe he could remain as the Democrat speaker or as a speaker that, that oversees some sort of coalition of Republicans and Democrats, but if you wanna be the Republican speaker, you definitely cannot use Democrats to preserve your power and to advance Joe Biden's spending priorities. Uh, a motion to vacate is a last resort It still is in Kevin McCarthy's hands whether or not we really face that. Because if we didn't do a CR, if we plowed through these appropriations bills, if we forced the Senate to negotiate on the terms of single subject bills, which liberals, conservatives, moderates all seem to agree is the right process, if we did that, I do believe Kevin McCarthy could save his speakership, but if it's just more of the obfuscation and reversion to the traditional Washington norms and the, the selective amnesia about commitments that have been made to our colleagues and to the American people, then uh, I think his time will have come to an end. It's pretty clear. Yeah,
1: pretty clear. that muscle memory is so strong. Sometimes you have to re-break a bone to actually fix it. So I know that these growing <laughs> pains might be a little painful for the country, but you uh, you are working so hard and we appreciate you being here with us tonight.
0: Uh, Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, John. Folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with more discussion right after these messages. Folks, if you owe back taxes, fair warning, you're not going to like this. The IRS is mailing millions of pay-up letters. Millions, I say. Then it's up to the 20,000 new IRS enforcement agents to find you. Why the IRS targets you and not millionaires? Well, because millionaires have tax lawyers. You don't. You'll pay up Of scammers, If nobody's watching the title to your home, these scammers can transfer your title to their name, take out loans, and your equity could be gone. Poof, gone. You have to protect your equity from this despicable crime right now with triple lock protection from my good friends at HomeTitleLock.com. The first step is to check on your home's title to see if it's still in your name. Sign up with your address at HomeTitleLock.com and be sure to use the promo code JUSTNEWS. All right, folks, welcome back for the commercial break. So much has been going on in the world today, whether it's the Russia-Ukraine war, the constant capitulation and concessions that the United States has made to Iran, most recently unfreezing $6 billion of aid to Iran in order to get five of our hostages back. And we look across and we see the rise of a BRICS movement to perhaps one day supplant the United States dollar as the international currency of choice. And we wonder what's going on. Why is the world so unstable? Why are so many of our enemies and our allies acting in ways that confuse us or in some cases threaten us? I thought I'd bring on one of the wisest foreign policy, national security experts I know. He's advised many presidents and presidential candidates over the years. You see him often on Newsmax as one of their top foreign policy analysts. He's my good friend, Waleed Ferris, and he joins us right now. Waleed, great to have you back on the show. Thank you for having me, John.
3: Always great to be talking with you.
0: It's funny. I was thinking of you the other day when this hostage deal, this money that was exchanged hands came out. I was thinking back to your book, Iran, and imperialist republic and U.S. policy, because so much of the principles that you laid out for the way Americans could have a constructive relationship with the regime in Iran were just simply abandoned in this deal. It was really a head-scratcher to me. How big a setback is this for U.S. foreign policy and the concept of peace through strength?
3: It is a massive setback. You and I actually, back in December, uh, had a discussion about this topic and and we predicted and I made sure that the, the audience would understand that this is a process. Uh, It started the mother uh, deal in 2015, promised the Iran regime under the Obama administration, $150 billion total, Uh, but it did not stop. Uh, Now we have the Biden administration granting, offering uh, six point something billion dollars. And of course they come with the argument that this is is their money. No, it's the Iranian people's money, not the Iranian regime's money. And the biggest uh, concern I have many experts have is that that money would be used regardless of all the control mechanism the administration is talking about once the money would leave Qatari banks and goes into Iran. They decide what to do with it. The president of Iran said so, and as we have discussed in the past, they will buy weapons, ballistic missiles, uh, advanced technology from China, from uh, North Korea, uh, from Russia, of course, and including funding the four major militias. Actually, there are 16 militias, but four major militias who control Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, Yemen. All of that we have discussed. What we have not discussed and this is the first time we're going to start discussing it. Is the capacity of that regime and their intention to use hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe one billion dollar, who knows, from the six billion, to mount one of the largest influence operation within the West, within the United States, to continue pressuring the West and the United States to continue uh, paying them money? It's the chicken and the egg, and we have offered that money to that regime.
0: Yeah, it's mind boggling. And I think if you're a bad actor around the world, you see now a business opportunity in this model. Well, we'll just take more hostages. We'll negotiate for a while. We'll get some of our hostages back and we'll get cash too. It's part of the reason why for most of the last 40 years, the US policy traditionally has been, we do not pay for the release of hostages because it encourages, well, more hostage imprisonment. Do you think at the end of the day that that mindset is beginning to spread across our enemies in a way that could be detrimental for the future of Americans overseas.
3: Clearly, John, uh, we both remember that during this, even during the Cold War, our exchange of hostages or prisoners with superpowers like the Soviet Union were you know, we send you one, we'll send you one. Uh, you send us five, we'll send you five. I mean, there are movies even on on this matter. Same with China, same with other players. But with Iran, there's something different. Somehow, an Iranian lobby or pro-Iran regime lobby or pro-Iran deal lobby has convinced us that we can use the exchange of hostages, meaning if they will return five, we return five. You know, it's possible in the world of, of negotiations. But we return or we give them six billion dollars It's not normal so it seems to me that these are two things and one of the deals is to cover up for the other meaning we present it to the american public as oh this is a return of american hostages but what we are trying to do or we are doing now at this point in time is executing the iran deal sending that money but let me add one thing why would a american administration send that much money if it's not as real part of the exchange of prisoners, because somewhere there are pressure groups here in the West in the United States who would be profiting. You know, when you send $6 billion to a regime, what do you expect? We know that you expect some return to some interest groups. And that's what worries me the most.
0: Yeah, no, it's pretty remarkable to absorb that. And within a few short hours or maybe a day or so after the announcement of this deal, the uh, prisoner exchange and the cash Release by the United States government. Iran took some actions against nuclear inspectors, again, thumbing its nose to the world and being in compliance with the nuclear program. Not an accident, but what message should everyday Americans take from that, that we just gave Iran something and instead of reciprocating, they actually escalated their non-compliance with world nuclear standards?
3: John, this has become a one-way matter we're not like two parties negotiating getting to a point and then both parties would commit to the agreement this is the iran regime somehow with its influence over here in washington and in brussels as well forcing almost or dragging the decision makers to release that money which is iran's people money and once that is successful here's the deal The Iran regime believe and think that they have the control over the process. Anytime they want to get the release of money, they will, as you just mentioned right now, they will just collect few hostages. And that's the new. So they are on steroids at this point in time because there is no opposition, no checking on behalf of the U.S. and the European uh, uh, Union
0: yeah no there isn't. We're, we're completely blind for our six billion dollars of uh, gifting that we just gave to Iran. It's really remarkable. I want to stay on Iran for one more second because I think a lot of people didn't pick up this nuance, but it is a nuance with really significant implications. I think it was right after the u n. visit by President Raisi, the Iranian president, to the u n at general Assembly meeting that the State. Department confirmed that Iran's foreign minister, Hossein Amadolin, wanted to come visit the United States. We haven't had a foreign minister be granted that right to come to Washington and meet with U.S. officials for many years for good reason. Iran's been acting badly for the last two decades. The idea that the State Department acknowledged it and that they're not turning it down outright, what does that say about where the Biden administration may go next in the relationship with Iran?
3: john it's still part of the much bigger deal that started in 2015 under the uh obama administration which basically is telling the american public in actions that the iran regime can be re uh, integrated to the international community we can do business with them and as we all know that uh, the trump administration uh, you know withdrew from the iran deal which by the way may have caused uh, an important reason to oppose it and with all means. So uh, the Iran regime had a win when the Biden, when the Obama administration actually conceded to that new approach to Iran. The Trump administration uh, changed that. And then now the Biden administration came back. So now we are at the second Obama administration policy of integrating the Iran regime. But the problem, uh, as you know, and as we discussed, is that this is not what the Iranian people want. We have seen over four, year, four months, and maybe in the last few months as well, massive demonstrations, a large revolution inside Iran by the people, mostly women and youth and minorities, and all kinds of dissidents against that regime, and yet we are ignoring it. There was not one visit at the White House. I mean, we're talking about the foreign minister of iran's islamic republic seeking to come and visit well he's still his regime some of his agencies are still on our terrorists that mean it makes no sense to have that leader coming here before a real peace agreement is done but at the same time the administration is not even talking to the democratic opposition in iran so i think where the administration is at this point in time is a very is a in a very contradictory. Um, uh, contradictive uh, policy with regard to what the American people want, not just the Republicans, but Democrats as well. Yeah,
0: yeah, pretty remarkable. Let's flip for a second to Afghanistan, another place where the Biden administration didn't cover itself with glory. The withdrawal has had so many significant consequences, starting with the 13 troops who lost their lives, starting with the scores of people that were wounded and left with permanent injuries. When I talk to people today, in fact, just recently around the 9 22nd anniversary of the 9-11 attacks, there is a chronically consistent message, which is that we are blind in Afghanistan to what ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and other bad actors are doing, more blind than we have at any point in the last few years. How big a blindness is it, and what are the long-term consequences to our security here, particularly with a border that seems to be quite porous right now?
3: We have a strategic blindness with regard what we have actually done, what the administration has done in Afghanistan. You could discuss the results of 20 years of US presence in Afghanistan, NATO presence in Afghanistan. You could find ways and means to uh, reform the previous government that was there resisting uh, the Taliban and the jihadists. But what was done within the summer of 2021 was a simple catastrophe. We were there. That's different from Iran. We are not in Iran, but we have leverage. We actually were there. And not only we withdrew. Afghani uh, you know, leaders or Afghani important voices would tell me that we are not even discussing the matter that the U.S. should stay or not or how should it stay. But we transferred power, real, physical, military power to the Taliban and therefore their allies, the jihadists. So when you ask me how blind we are, completely blind, because even before we went to Afghanistan, we had a presence, we had an alliance. Remember the Northern Alliance? Now we're not even talking to the remnant of the Northern Alliance who have formed a little free enclave in the North. And when we ask the administration, no, 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 we have transferred power to the the Taliban, and therefore we're not going to talk to the opposition. And to answer your question, well, obviously the Taliban are making, you know, fun of us uh, in the sense that they have Protected al-Qaeda, al-Qaeda to ISIS transitional in that part. And the most important, they are now connected to the international Islamist movement around the world. Our next problem after Iran is going to be back to Afghanistan, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. It really is. It's going to be a, and it'll be a painful pivot to have to go back and address it. Because we spent 20 years of bloodshed trying to prevent the very thing that we're now we're now faced with. I'd like to end up with a good overview of the Russia-Ukraine war. Where you think it is, is Ukraine making progress? Is it not making progress? And also, there's a schism in both parties. The Democrats are inconsistent, though they want to clearly back their president right now. There are Republicans who are aligned with President Biden. There are Republicans who are completely against assisting Ukraine. Where are we in the political process? And more importantly, where is the war actually from a strategic and tactical standpoint?
3: Great question. Uh, I've been talking to many experts internationally, and of course our experts here and the lawmakers. Here's the deal. We have an t- almost quasi-confusion in America. That's why you see the line going through the political parties, the think tanks, and even within one political party. On the ground, as I have monitored this, once that war was not won by August to September 2022, once both sides uh, didn't win decisively, it's now looking like the Western Front during World War One between the Allies and, and and the Germans for three years. They would advance a little bit here, advance a little bit there. It was catastrophically bloody. With They would bring, each side will bring, you know, massive uh, new type of weapons. So I think Russia is not able to occupy Ukraine. They understood it. They, they have failed in occupying and in invading uh, uh, the capital of Ukraine. And the Ukrainians, yes, they're making some inroads uh, in in the east and in the south, but they won't be able to defeat the Russian army. The Russian army now is bringing all of its uh, capabilities from inside Russia. They can't. They can't allow themselves to uh, to be crushed in Ukraine because that would impact actually Russia itself. And the Ukrainians are receiving significant support from NATO and a lot of money from the United States, but their goals would be not achievable without an intervention by by NATO and NATO cannot intervene. Neither the Europeans nor us cannot intervene if we are not attacked. So what is the result of this? They need to go and start peace negotiations and then leave it to a mechanism because we are talking about a nuclear power, that's Russia, which is led by a nationalist uh, leadership. It's not even the Soviet Union. it's very different. So probably at this point in time, uh, after a few months from now there should be some negotiations at least for a ceasefire and then a political uh, resolution of the conflict in the east and the south of ukraine
0: and that would be your if you were advising a president today that's exactly the advice you would give which is listen let's try to get this to a pause and try to come up with a political solution because the war right now is just a war of attrition really on both sides is that correct yeah you you use the, the
3: right term it is attrition but it's atrocious att- attrition for lives on the ground and their money and we have all the other crises, but there is something beyond that. If such an ethno-territorial war, ethno-territorial war, persists and continue and it, it's not stopping, guess what? What we have seen with, between the Armenians and azeris and the Caucasus and that huge exodus is gonna repeat itself across the Caucasus. There are tensions between Poland and Ukraine over ethnicity and terito- territorial areas. So this could reverberate across Eastern Europe. It's not a joke. So that war should stop because it's not going anywhere. Neither Russia can defeat Ukraine, nor Ukraine can defeat Russia. But if we don't stop it as soon as possible and begin the political engagement, this type of conflict could go all over the place in Europe and the Caucasus.
0: And that's an interesting thing, because when you listen to a lot of the, the hawkish Republicans and the hawkish Democrats, their argument is you have to win this war to, meaning help Ukraine defeat Russia. To ensure that Poland and NATO And the other countries aren't there But actually you're making argument very differently Which is the war can't be won And letting it persist is actually a greater threat To expansion of the war Than if there was a political settlement
3: That's what the logic was during the Korean War I mean uh, we went up They went down And finally everybody realized You need to stop somewhere But there is also something else in this case Is that the way to win this war May not be what most American analysts of the administration are thinking about actually creating a political settlement an acceptable political settlement where ukraine is actually protected by us may have reverberation inside russia let me be very clear if the war starts and there is a political resolution then the Russians will start asking questions about their leadership. So our friends here who want to continue with the war endlessly may, uh, may be now missing the point that stopping the war at this point in time may get them a change in Russia, not the other way around.
2: Yeah,
0: no, such an important. And that's part of the discussion that isn't being out there. It really isn't getting the attention it deserves in, in not only Congress, but in the news media. There is a different approach here that is always Left off the table, but political solution may actually be the way to most quickly stop the spread of war in Europe. It's pretty remarkable. Wally, it is always an honor to have you on the show. We always get a lot of wisdom. We always get a lot of smart strategic thought about the world. For folks who want to get your book on Iran, because I think it's a must read. If you're if you're worried about Iran and its current relationship with Joe Biden, this book is really I think the best table setting book to get you the understanding of what's really going on not what you sometimes see in the media what's the best way for people to get your book
3: it's very easy john first amazon you can just check iran and imperialist republic and u.s policy or if you want it to be signed you could go to any of my social media at walid ferris w-a-l-i-d ferris p-h-a-r-e-s facebook instagram or of course twitter and you will get the book and you'll get it signed
0: It's a great treasure to have. It's a great resource to have. As a reporter, I refer to it often because when things crop up with Iran, understanding the history, the context of the relationship, and also some of the moments where we made fateful decisions that I think have put us in this moment. It's great to have that context when you make judgments. And while you do such a great job of making a very complicated world understandable to all of us here, which is is a great gift. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me, John. Yeah, great to have you on. Folks, one more good interview to go. I'm gonna bring you inside the world of fixed income investments. One of the great family businesses have done such great work for Americans for more than a half century. Cardian Company, right after these messages. I could stay here forever.
1: Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today.
0: All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Over the last several months, you've got to meet a lot of the great sponsors, partners that back Just the News, help us do the reporting and the podcasting and the television shows that you've all come to expect from us. And you've heard, uh, I'm sure, many times, great advertisements and words about Cardi and Company, but I thought today we'd do something a little different, that we would bring in the CEO of Cardi Company, Bill Cardi, to tell us a little bit more about what makes his company so special and why in this very volatile investment market, what Cardi can do to make life better for you. So if you would join me in welcoming Bill Cardi, CEO of Cardi & Company. Bill, great to have you on the show.
4: Well, good morning. It's great to be here, John. Thank you.
0: It is a great honor to have you on. And also, I want to say it's a great honor also to be a partner of yours. We are so grateful for the support and and the great products that you provide. Our listeners, our readers, it's such an amazing Company you've built, and I want to just start. I mean, you are a full service broker, but you have a lot of specialty, particularly in the fixed income securities. Tell us why that is such an important investment in this current market.
4: Well, let me just tell you a little bit about Carding Company. We're we're a 53 year old uh, full service broker dealer. We do, as you just said, we specialize in fixed income securities. We're registered with the SEC. Uh, we're members of FINRA. Those are the regulatory organizations that. Tell us what we can and can't do. Uh, so uh, uh, that's that's kind of our specialty is fixed income. We've been doing it for a while and doing
0: it well. Obviously, you have a really satisfied customer base a lot of the the uniqueness here is that I think, you know, there are different types of broker relationships. Customers manage their own portfolios, and then you provide them sort of a little bit of help and guidance to make them more successful. Talk about the partnership that a customer gets when they enter the Cardian Company family.
4: Yeah, okay. Well, uh, Cardian Company is a little bit different than most of the brokers today. Most of the firms today uh, we well what we're not, we're not investment advisors, we're not money managers, and, and we're not certified financial planners. We're transactional broker-dealer. You know, we charge a little bit on each trade. Uh, we mark them up. We buy them as cheap as we can, and we mark them up just a little bit when we sell them to our customers. Uh, so we're not, we're not fee-based. Uh, most of the brokers that we compete with spend a lot of time Gathering assets under management, as they like to talk about, uh, you give them your money and your assets, and then they decide where to put it, and then they charge you an annual fee based on those assets. We're different from that. We uh, we try to provide our customers with some advice on what they might buy, but they manage their own portfolios, and we try to we try to steer them with uh, with into in fixed income investments that. Uh, Suit their uh, investment objectives and and fit within their risk tolerance, but they decide whether to buy, sell, and hold. And we we think that's the most efficient uh, way of managing a portfolio with the least uh, amount of fees. And our customers are mostly very wealthy individuals or financial institutions. They're smart folks and uh, they know how to manage their own portfolios. So. We just try to steer them in the right direction with really good, cheap securities that we spend a lot of time uh, trying to buy for them.
0: Yeah. And you have some really amazing specialists, particularly in the municipal and corporate bond trader market. Tell us a little bit about that and how, what sort of volume every day you're doing to try to get great deals on those sort of
4: bonds. Yeah. Okay. Well, we've, uh, as far as the secondary market's concerned, we feel like we've got some really good traders, both corporate and municipal. Uh, our guys have been with us a long time. They'll bid 300, 400 items a day, try to get some, some you know, good cheap securities that uh, that we can offer to our customers. That's our secondary market business. But we also have an active public finance department. Uh, we bid most of uh, most of the syndicates that come out. We're in we're in the, in those national syndicates, uh, and then we we do some local, more uh, negotiated deals. Uh, so so our underwriting department uh, is experienced. We've got some good guys there that have been around a long time and been with us for a while. So we're proud of our, our investment bankers. And uh, we've also got a niche business that we've been in since the middle 70s. Uh, they decided they wanted to expand their SBA and USDA government-guaranteed loan business uh, yeah, they wanted the banks to be able to make more of those loans, so they wanted to create a secondary market for those loans. And we, we got involved in the in the 70s just doing the individual loans, and we would buy the government guaranteed portion. Uh, the, the government only guarantees anywhere from 75 to 90%. The bank has to keep that unguaranteed part, but we buy the guaranteed part and sell it to our financial institutions uh As an investment or as a loan to go in their loan portfolio either one and and this is a niche that we've been in for a long time and and uh there's fifteen broker dealers across the country yeah you're in a lead company yeah, well yeah we're we 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 are a lead yeah, in that regard that uh, one of fifteen that's uh, authorized by the s b a to be poolers so we uh, we can pool those loans they're 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 managed kind of a guidehouse there the, Trustee and uh, paying agent on these things, but uh, but we're we're a pooler, uh, and that is uh, that is a unique uh, uh, spot for us, and we, we enjoy doing that. And uh, so so uh, uh, those are those are basically our products, but we're 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 a general broker dealer. We can we can do just about anything, stocks, bonds, whatever. But but we're we're specialty in fixed income, as as we've talked about before.
0: Yeah, it's pretty remarkable. And you have a really great culture about how you create your staff. I know, you know, there are always brokers that are out there that you can pick off from other competitors. But a lot of times, you basically bring your brokers in as candidates. You hire them, you train them, and you get them in the way of doing business the way Cardian Company likes to do business. That's kind of a unique approach in this market. Why is that so important?
4: Well, uh Cardiac Company, for, for years, we've always kind of, we wanted to, to train our brokers to do business the way we like for them to do business. So uh, we've always uh, hired and trained our own folks. Every now and then we hire somebody from another brokerage firm that's unhappy for whatever reason and comes to work for us, but uh, but we're hiring here in Memphis and we're hiring in our branch in Little Rock. Uh, we're training new guys, so for any guy out there I want to get in this business, you need to come talk with us. We, we might hire them and uh, train them and get them licensed and put them on the phone.
0: Yeah, what an awesome way to do that. When you look at the moment that the market's in, the dollar has been volatile, the, uh, the traditional stock market has been volatile, interest rates up, inflation still stubborn. The fixed income space is, is pretty attractive in an inflationary environment. Tell us a little bit about what you see in that space, in the fixed income space over the next year or two.
4: You know, John, I think, uh, you know, our country's got some problems right now. We've got really high inflation, uh, and the Fed will probably have to keep these rates higher and higher. It might go even higher than they are already uh, in the future. That will probably be good for our investors. You know, for about the last 20, 25 years, rates have been low. It's been hard to get much return on your investment, but rates are back up there now and may go higher. So I think that'll be good for our investors, not so good for the issuers who have to pay a little bit more to, to borrow the money. But, uh, but, but our investors are, are our main concern anyway, and so I think it'll be good for them, but not, maybe not so good for the country. I, we've, uh, this inflation is getting to be a real problem. Yeah,
0: no, it is. And it's so much more stubborn and persistent than the administration originally led us to know, although I think a lot of experts were warning right from the beginning, this isn't temporary. This is going to be a long haul. When you look at the moment of the national debt, that our national debt is now 120 to 130% of GDP, that's always been, once we got to the 100% more, that was always a warning sign for for fiscal experts. It makes people feel a lot more uncomfortable how concerned should we be about the debt ratio to GDP? And do you see any sign that officials in Washington are maybe going to get serious about that in the near future?
4: Well, I don't know whether they'll get serious. I hope so. Uh, you know, it's getting scary. We're up there in the nosebleed range, you know. Uh, interest, on, interest on that debt may start running out, you know, numbers of a trillion dollars a year just to pay the interest. Well, you know, uh, that that's certainly inflationary. you got the labor unions, uh, UAW, the auto workers' union, they're they're on strike right now. They want a 40% increase. Uh, I think Ford's offered 20-something percent. Uh, Who knows where they'll settle. Let's say they settle at 30%. That's that's a big wage increase. And then if if you get the airline pilots, they're talking about striking Other, other unions around the country. Uh, that could lead to more uh, wage-price push, you know. That's inflationary. Uh, then the the government won't won't do anything about the oil problem. You know, we've got uh, an oil shortage, uh, so price of oil is is running up. As a matter of fact, it's up about three bucks this morning, about ninety-two dollars a barrel, and going higher. It looks like. So there's some people are.
0: It's uncomfortable, isn't it?
4: Yeah, some are predict, predicting, uh, you know, $150 a barrel oil. I don't know. At any rate, that's inflationary. So there's just a lot of things pushing prices up, and uh, the Fed, in my view, will have to hold rates high to compensate for this inflation that they're trying to that they're struggling with, and and they only have that one one bullet in their gun, and that's in interest rates. So that's kind of scary, John.
0: It is. Yep, it does. It has a lot of similarities to the late 1970s when people look at it. Uh, and you know, it's, it's an interesting thing. And you know, I, I know you know this, but when, when, when a lot of people really don't realize that when the UAW strikes or so whatever that percentage of cost to, uh, for new employment or for the workers is going to be, that's all gets passed down. And when the pilot gets paid more, when the assembly line worker gets paid more, uh, all of that, when ca- gas and oil cost more, all of that gets passed on to the consumer, which I think probably makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable about their buying power in the near future.
4: Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a problem, and it's not going away anytime soon. And it doesn't seem like the powers that be are trying, working very hard to do something about it. You know, they're just relying on the Fed. And the fiscal policy seems to be where the real problem is, but nobody's working on
0: that. Nope, they don't want to touch it. It's like a, a, a hot potato. They just keep tossing around. Nobody actually takes time to, to really address it. Um, we all have been through different financial crises, the 2007 eight, nine crisis, probably most fresh in minds. A lot of people will ask, oh, I remember the Lehman's Brother crisis, other things. Uh, Does Cardi and Company have insurance to cover customers if there was ever a setback? Um, a lot of people always ask it. What do you know about
1: that?
4: Yeah, we have uh, we have standard SIPC insurance, that's uh, Securities Investors Protection Corp, all broker-dealers are required to carry SIPC insurance that insures their customers' uh, cash into, and securities. But uh, Cardian Company clears fully disclosed through a firm of uh, Pershing out of New York and uh, and Chicago and uh, New Jersey, they got offices around. And Pershing is the largest fully disclosed clearing firm in the country. I think they have like 1,400 broker-dealers that do business with them and over 6 million customer accounts that they carry. They carry our, our account, and, and Pershing not only has standard SIPC like we do, but they have excess SIPC that runs up to a billion dollars uh, that would cover their customers' uh, securities and uh, cash if there were a real catastrophic uh, bankruptcy like Lehman Brothers had. Uh, and there are, there are strict rules that FINRA and the SEC have. We have to keep our customers fully paid for our securities segregated in a segregated account. So they're never at risk. Even if Cardi Company were to have, or God forbid, something horrible happened that we went broke like, uh, like Lehman Brothers. Which, by the way, we've been in business 53 years. I don't expect anything like that to happen.
0: You have a lot of longevity. You've weathered a lot of other storms.
4: We have. You are talking about that 80s uh, back when uh, Volker and uh, Reagan were were around? That was that was. We thought that was some real inflation back then. Hopefully, we won't see it get that high, but uh, you never know. Well,
0: yeah, one thing we know, and that, as I said, Bill, we really appreciate the partnership with you. But you offered, you know, longevity. You're more than a half century in business. You've got the insurance and the risk tolerance, which is great. You allow people to have the flight stick. You're advising them. Uh, and, uh, you have this homegrown staff that you've trained yourself and that are built in the Cardi and company values. It's such a remarkable company, family operated and owned. It's such a great, uh, business. And, uh, we're so grateful folks. If you want to learn more and take advantage of Bill and his team's extraordinary tools and expertise, all you got to do is go to Cartico.com, C-A-R-T-Y-C-O. com today. Go check it out in this market. This is a really good investment opportunity for for folks to take a look at. So be sure to go to CardiCo.com today. Bill, what an honor to talk to you. What an honor to see the way this company has been built. It's so unique and uh, it's so impactful, uh, even in a moment where the economy feels a little bit like it's straining. Uh, Great honor to have you on our team and as part of our partners.
4: Well, thank you, John. I'm I'm very proud of our folks. We've got a really good uh, crew here, that most of them have been trained here at Carding Company. A lot of them been with us 40, 50 years. Some of them.
0: That's amazing.
4: And so we're we're we're, we're a good family-operated, uh, locally-owned firm, and we've been around for a long time. And if you got any of your listeners out there who are trying to uh, manage a fixed-income portfolio and think they need a little help. Uh, they probably should give us a call.
0: Yeah, absolutely they should, especially at this moment. I think we're headed into some more difficult financial times, and fixed income securities are an outstanding option in a a very turbulent market. So, Bill, we're going to get you on again soon. We really appreciate, as I said, the partnership and also the, the quality and expertise that your firm brings to all of your great customers. Thanks for joining us
4: today. Thank you, John. Good talking with you.
0: You as well. Folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. So grateful you can join me today. Be sure to check the breaking news headlines all night long on Justin News. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of John Solomon Reports. In the meantime, be sure to check out Justin News. God bless you and good night. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia Collusion. Hunter Biden